Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Energy News Beat podcast. My name's Stu Turley, President and CEO of the Sandstone Group. We got us some really, really interesting conversation today. Uh, I have been on this gentleman's uh, podcast before. Absolutely love everything that he is doing. I'm going to introduce him here in a sec, but let's tee this up. 2024 is shaping up to be one of the single best, most entertaining years of our life. There's a lot going on. We just had COP28 in which there was a lot of big oil showed up and there was a lot of green people showed up and their heads were exploding. David Blackman just put out there's going to be a resurgence in nuclear around the world. In my opinion, I think we're going to have nuclear not really in the U.S. because of the legislation through regulation, but we're seeing a uh, resurgence in nuclear like Dubai just put out, or excuse me, the UAE just put out a nuclear reactor. So then you're going to have natural gas. Natural gas is really kicking off around the world. And I've got a fantastic energy expert here today. I've got Shane Schloep, and he is absolutely the CEO of Westcom, and they know energy. They know solar. They know oil and gas, and I love them. Welcome, Shane, and thanks. I'm so glad you're here today. Well, thanks, Stu. I'm excited to be on here and talk about energizing America and how we need all these forms of energy. And boy, there's an untold story behind the headlines. And unfortunately, as Americans and folks around the world, we just love the headlines. And it's so easy to buy into that headline, isn't it? It's incredible that even the things you just said, there's so much behind all of that to unpack. And what you and the Sandstone Group are doing, and including David Blackman, all the folks that are out there using the Substack and getting this message out, we can't get enough of it. It's awesome. So thanks for having me on to tell the story. Isn't that, I'll tell you um, a couple things. You also are a podcast host, and this is really awful, Shane, because you had me on your show, and it got I got real busy because I was going to have you back. But tell us about your podcast, and then we're going to go into what you're seeing in the energy space. Yeah, right. So our podcast, Energizing America, is just how we need energy in our life in, in all forms of energy. And sometimes we talk about business energy, just different business tactics. And, you know, I'm part of a group that grew from zero to a few hundred employees out in the oil patches and love to tell a story about blue collar workforce. So that's a big piece of it. We talk about solar. I have solar at my house. I got solar at my shop. 90% of my work, though, is comes from oil and gas. So, you know, we got an EV vehicle. So we talk about EV vehicles sometimes. We just talk all things energy. Sometimes we get politicians in. Uh, to talk about their opinions and, and blab what they have to say about things. We, we have Pete Stauber is a representative of ours from Minnesota. He's been a great guest on our podcast. And then sometimes we get lucky enough to get people like you come on and talk about some of the, the world events around oil and gas and, and just the all in energy approach. So our podcast Energize in America really started just with the mission of sharing the need for energy and, and sharing the story behind the folks who produce it. Because there's so many awesome people out there talking about the human part of energy and how important that is. And sometimes it gets forgotten that it actually takes humans behind the energy to even produce it, right? I love this idea of, oh, let's just go all electric. I'm, I, I love electricity. I'm, I, I mean, I'm an electrician, right? This is great. The problem here is, is that folks forget we have to produce. 
the electricity. So somehow they think if they're not using their gas vehicle, the, the electricity just magically shows up. None of them, very few of them actually understand that that electricity has to be generated by the way, which is oftentimes most affordably done via coal, natural gas, you name it, it's very rarely done by a renewable source. There's some of it, right? If we could have more nuclear like you started with, we'd be great. But there's that untold story of the humans behind there that are producing that energy, all forms of it. Hug your linemen. Uh, <laughs> They're going to need those hugs. Absolutely, because, you know, the FERC just put out, Shane, that the U.S. grid is not doing too hot because of the sustainable uh, or the sustainable or the renewable energy that is not sustainable uh, being put on. Texas is having to put in. We're using more coal now than we've used. Kerry is trying to shut all that down. And you were just talking, you're up in the middle of the tundra up there, and you are having snow. You're not getting any solar today, are you? No. And so this is this is a cool part about actually having solar, right? Uh, when we started our podcast of Energizing America and really trying to get the message out, people would ask me about solar, and I didn't, I didn't have enough details about it. And I'm a reader. I can read a lot about solar, but I love when I get to experience it. So we made an investment here at our shop, put solar in. I got a monitor out front. It shows how much solar energy we're producing. I got it at my house on my roof, same thing. But I am telling you, in July and August, great up in northern Minnesota. December, January, February, not so great. We get a lot of snow, and uh, it's it's not cool unless you get your solar panels cleared yeah. off. And then it's only six hours of sunshine. So unless you have a big battery bank system, which is totally unaffordable, and oh, by the way, we also sit on the biggest copper deposit in the world pretty much up here in the northern half of the u.s but guess what we can't mine it that's a whole other matter so we don't have we don't have affordable ways to storage the energy so it's awesome to have real data Stu, to talk to people about that you know when they say oh you're in the oil and gas what's wrong with you what do you mean what's wrong with me i'm actually making sure that you get to get up this morning like for me this morning i woke up first thing i did is hit my you know oil produced phone started my pickup because it's 18 degrees out there at the lake, started to pick up, hit the floor. Ooh, I like that nice tile heat, you know, that my, right. obviously my propane boiler is working away. Out the door I go and get my, that fossil fuel ridden pickup, which is a really, really nice way to drive compared to the electric vehicle in northern Minnesota with this temp is not so warm. Electric vehicles are so fun, Stu. I'm sure you've ridden them. They're so fun. But when it's 20 degrees out, they're not very fun. You know, because my in-laws, uh, the green side, why is it you and I can have this conversation? I love all forms of energy, has to be sustainable. You can't print money where the global economy is now facing horrible things. But do you see up in northern Minnesota this conversations of religion around the quote-unquote, renewable side. Uh, and I, I love my oil and gas folks, love oil and gas, because they're they're uh, the Texas Rangers of energy, as far as I'm concerned. I don't care where you are in the U.S. If you're drilling a rig, I love you. I don't care if you got mud all over you, I'm going to come hug you. And it's because I realize that's low-cost energy. But what kind of conversations do you have when you're talking to folks? Is it just oh, they're, they're fascinating conversations, Stu, and people are so uneducated in this. They're so opinionated on something that they have no knowledge of. 
For right. example, I'm at the local elementary school. We're getting set up for a carnival. Me and this gal open up conversation. What do you do for a living? She says, I protest. I said, really, what do you protest? She says, oh, things like the Enbridge uh, Line 3 project. And I say, oh, really? This is going to be fun. And because, you know, politeness, she asks me, now, what do I do? And I said, well, I run a, I run an energy services company that primarily works in oil and gas in North Dakota. Uh, exactly what you're protesting against us trying to transport. And so then we have this lively conversation. But super, you know, if you if you try and meet them where they're at, like, hey, so tell me why you're protesting, right? Well, I believe I want to take care of the waters. Oh, you do realize most of the oil and gas that we import comes from overseas over the beautiful ocean. Does that not concern you? Because if it does, it seems like you would want it to go on a pipeline underneath American soil where we have good regulation and good things in place, right? And eventually, by the end of the night, she's actually coming around. And my boys, when we get in the pickup, they go, boy, Dad, I wanted to wring her neck, you know? But yet, by the end of the night, she's totally understands that. Yeah, that's true. She didn't. She actually drove her car to the to the event. You know, she didn't walk. So my question to her is, why didn't you walk here if you truly really believed in it? You got to be all in, and so you have to somehow meet folks where they are. Here's what's fascinating, though: is the conversation over in northern Minnesota terrible? There's so many environmental groups with just a one-sided agenda that are all focused on climate change without knowing the facts of it. You get over to North Dakota, which is one of my favorite spots in the world. I'm there all the time. You can have real conversation with real people who, by the way, this is what never is told. The oil and gas folks out there, they're some of the best environmentalists you could ever find. Because guess who's out there hunting? Guess who's out there fishing? Guess who's out there using the outdoors? It's those folks. While the environmentalists are chaining themselves up to some painting somewhere about some forsaken thing that no one even cares about. They're, they don't even use what they're trying to protest with. Did you see the one that glued their hand to the pavement and, oh. and they had to cut the pavement out and then he lost his hand? Carmel. <laughs> and it has a weird way of taking care of things, doesn't it? But this this idea of just trying to meet folks where they're at that Minnesota came out with this big, you know, net zero goal by 2030. So local utilities increasing their costs by 10, 20 percent a year. You can't get a handle on it. And finally, it seems like people are getting hit in the pocketbook where it counts. And all of a sudden they're going, maybe this isn't the best strategy, right? Maybe we need to do something differently. But unfortunately, the train has departed the station and we're too far gone in northern Minnesota. I don't know what's going to happen. And it's in the whole state. It's terrible. One of the highest tax states and energy cost is not even, they don't consider that a tax. If they did, we would be worse in California and we'd be one of the top in the nation. It's terrible. But I, I do believe with the right set of circumstances, which is one, cold weather, that has a way of keeping things very real when it comes to energy. You guys experienced it in Texas a few years back. A couple hundred. When it gets cold, yeah, when it gets cold, people pay attention. So cold weather, that, that's, that's one thing. The second thing is cost. Hit people in the pocketbook. And I'm telling you up here, the energy costs are getting out of control. And we have oil and gas all over. There's no reason for it. I did not know that. Uh, I knew that the the legislation through regulatory action is now weaponized against the American citizen. And it's sad. Look at New yep. York. So we try and get, you know, even one of the things we've tried to do, Stu, is try and get these kids. They're in an education system where this stuff is being they're, they're being told from day one that, you know, oil and gas is any fossil fuel. We don't even have to say oil and gas. Right. It's fossil fuel. It's just an absolute attack on any natural resource use, right, other than solar and wind. 
they're being told bad, bad, bad. So we we grab a solar panel, we grab our Westcom tent, we head to the local elementary school every spring. We have the kids outside, we got a little fan and a light on the thing. We leave it out in the sun, the kids get to touch it, they get to learn about raceways and electrons and everything. And then we shove it under the tent and they realize what happens when the sun goes down. <laughs> it's a very real thing. And I tell them, we don't have a windmill because we don't have enough wind up here, but it's the same exact thing with wind. So what I'm trying to, what we're trying to do is give these kids a little opportunity, even at a younger age, to understand that there's probably more to it than what they're being told. How cool is that? It's um, one of the funnest days of the year. I'll tell you, um, I've got a, I'm trying to get, we're just covered over with work, but uh, we have a homeschool initiative at Sandstone that we're trying to take all of our podcasts, put tests on them for the high school students and uh, and junior high, junior high and high school for energy. Because a lot of the talks of the guests that we have are phenomenal. I learned so much, you know, I even though I went to Oklahoma State and that's a little bit of a handicap sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I love my college. But they did graduate people that couldn't read, but that's a whole nother story. Um, but we'll leave that alone. Uh, so and anyway, but I love the idea of giving back and educate the next generation. As a big employer, Shane, are you having trouble finding energy employees out there? Well, you know, we, we've struggled with employees overall, just like everyone has in today's world, right? It's, it's a tough deal. I'm pretty proud those two we've had. When my brother and I got going in this, we had five employees. We now have over 250. And these folks are so committed to the energy industry. One of the one of the secrets we've done, though, is, and it's not even a secret, we just have the conversation. Guys, don't be ashamed of what you do. Let me tell you, I interviewed Luke Wartz. He works for Marathon Oil, a massive producer over in the Bakken. He's a children's author. He's got the coolest kids' books ever. So I give it anyone, anytime someone has a baby around here, they get a little baby outfit from me and they get a couple of kids' books about oil and gas and how important it is. And I try and tell everyone at Westcom, embrace right. what you do because guess what? We wouldn't be where we are without you. I would not be warm in my bed at night without oil and gas. I just simply wouldn't do it. I would not have this nice shirt on without oil and gas. I would right. I would have nothing. It look at the difference between the Liberty CEO does such a great job in this is in his annual reports. Chris Wright. Love Chris. Chris Wright. Phenomenal in this, in talking about the, the low-cost, affordable energy, what it does, and that's why America is what it is. And it's a shame that we're not allowing other countries to follow suit. Once we got it, we don't want other folks to do. So we try and tell our employees, embrace what you do, go home, brag about what you do, tell your coworkers or your, your co-PTA members, tell the folks at the football game, embrace what you do, because and learn the facts about it. You know, a lot of folks just don't even realize how impactful their work is. So that's why even our model of Energize in America came to be. We used to just like, I don't know what our model was it, 10 years ago, maybe safely serving the best oil companies, right? The whole lane. No, what are we actually doing? We're like saving lives. We're energized in America. Think about how cool that is and, and embrace that. And through that, I think our folks feel very fulfilled at work. And then, oh, by the way, we happen to have this year uh, became employee owned. So my brother and I. Uh, put all the shares of the company into a trust fund and you earn the shares through your efforts of working. You don't buy the shares. You can only earn them. And so, yeah, we're an employee stock owned company and uh, folks get to own the company they work for. So that's also been very helpful for those those employees. 
you know what? I'm about to tear up. Uh, you know, I feel like Lee, Lee that would Green, be a first. Yeah. <laughs> Lee Greenwood, America. You know, I, I'm breaking into my America, Texas, America. Yeah. How cool is that, man? Well, so here's the thing. See, this is what we get to tell now about this. Everyone who has this agenda, we, we kind of lump people together, right? Uh, Green Initiative, uh, DEI, ESG, all those folks kind of get thrown in this big pile, right? But once you start stripping that pile out and you go, wait, you care about ESG. Let me tell you about environmental social governance. At Westcom, a company of a few hundred people doing several million dollars a year in revenue, our employees own the company. Go find me a green company that only does solar who's employee-owned. You will not find them. You will not find them. How come you're not talking to them, right? Oh, uh, you care about taking care of you know, the environment. Go find a company that has 90% of their staff out there hunting, fishing, and, and doing all the kinds of things that we should be doing with our natural resources. And by the way, I got 20 people, one set of folks out in North Dakota, you know, all they do for a major producer is go back and fix burn back and flares to do better for the environment. That particular producer spent over $10 million last year. Nice. And million in the Bakken shell play. So if you want to talk about people who care about an environment, we're all in. Oh, isn't that great? Hey, let me ask this. And I'm sorry, uh, I would give you a man hug right now because I, I just love everything that you got going on. You're a humanitarian first. Um, let me ask this because Bitcoin, uh, I love Bitcoin and there's a, there's a whole political reason behind it. And when you sit back and take a look, uh, I love the Bitcoin miners because it gives the EMP operators additional income if they put a mining operation on stranded gas or if they're flaring out and they can't get a pipeline out because of the regulatory kind of issues. I mean, this is a round robin. Are you seeing any Bitcoin mining up there? And I do love Bitcoin mining. Yeah, we are. We're seeing, um, we were involved in a fairly large project last year that did a lot of uh, taking stranded gas. Uh, you know, North Dakota, about 25 to 30% of their production comes right off the Indian Reservation. Uh, wow. The Indian Reservation has some power. Uh, they have some takeaway capacity issues from the, from the natural gas. And then subsequently, they also have some uh, political issues in getting the local utility to bring power in. So there's, yes, a, perfect, about that. Yes. there's yeah. a perfect storm going on where they can use this gas to create like a little mini power grid and and do something right. Um, one of which could be putting it back on the line or Bitcoin mining. I would say 20 percent of our sites we find Bitcoin uh, mining anymore on because of one of our producers is really into it. They're nice. using a ton of that gas. Some some constraints with it, Stu, you know, um, you know how it is in the oil and gas. Sometimes the gas is coming out and it's flowing perfectly. And then all of a sudden right. the well runs into an issue. The gas shuts down. you got a lot of infrastructure costs in that Bitcoin. Um, right. North Dakota state regulators have been a little bit uh, tough on the Bitcoin miners. A lot of the Bitcoin miners want to import uh, their computers and different components from China. They're not UL listed. That, can, that makes uh, things a little bit. But I think we've worked through a lot of those challenges. There was just one project last year that out of all the ones we were involved that didn't go as quite as well as they would have hoped. So now they're moving that setup. The beautiful thing about that Bitcoin mining, and so, you know, when, when in the shell play, 
we start the well up, right? Uh, lots of oil comes out. And then as it ages, more and more gas starts to come out. Now, what do we do? North Dakota has a massive takeaway issue. It's it's brewing. They don't figure yes. it out by 2028. We're going to be in a world of hurt. They're going to have to curtail production, which would be terrible. So as regulations are coming out, Shane. So. <laughs> So bad. You talked to Lynn Helms, a director of mineral resources there. He's done phenomenal. I think it by uh, in 20 years, you know, they used to produce 100,000 barrels of oil a day. They're now over one point, almost hitting two million. And he says by the time it's two o'clock in the morning, they've produced more oil than when he first started in his job. Right. And it, what they did in a 24 hour day. But it, this this Bitcoin mining is a great way to take care of some of that natural gas takeaway capacity issue. At the same time, produce revenue for folks. And get rid of the emissions. And then, uh, uh, so here's, I, I get excited when I'm talking ESG, making money and saving and putting power and all that. I would love to interview your customer that you did do that and you, and really kind of educate our listeners more about the goodness of Bitcoin mining if we can get that kind of a thing scheduled. Because people think, oh, Bitcoin mining is bad. Uh, and I'm if the digital currency from a government kicks in, it's not good. And and I'm I'm sorry, but you're going to see. Here's a prediction, Shay, and I this, I want your opinion on this too. I think Bitcoin's off, getting ready to run to the races. I think it's went through enough of its cycles that it it has to test the highs and the lows. It seems like it's it's within the next couple of years, it's going to be here to stay, and it's going to be a growing asset. The thing is, we have to, this is where it gets so complicated for folks. It gets so singular minded rather right. than taking this all in approach. And this is why all the podcasts that Sandstone Group does and all the publications and everything are so important to be involved in. It's an all in approach. We're considering all the elements and pulling it all together, of which Bitcoin mining has a place and can yes. do phenomenal things. I had an employee one time who, well, he still works for me. And he works over in Minot or lives over in Minot, North Dakota. And he was Bitcoin mining in his basement. And he was telling me his electric bills were out of this world, right? Meanwhile, 65 miles away, there's a well that just has nowhere to put the gas. So it's just flaring off into the atmosphere. Right. In all kinds of energy, they could put a Connex right there with some computers in it, get some Bitcoin mining going. It's a win-win for all parties involved. There's some infrastructure costs, but here's the thing. They've gotten so good with Bitcoin mining now, we can basically, this is modular. You can pick these things up as it oh, yes. goes bad and it doesn't have the gas takeaway anymore. Pick it up, move it down the road to the next well that does have some takeaway issues, right? What yeah. I wish is that we could get that Bitcoin mining going down in the Permian Basin. Then very slow adopters down in the Permian Basin to uh, yes. Bitcoin mining. However, they have a lot better takeaway capacity. They don't have the same issue with flaring as we have up north. But they're 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 headed there, right? If it's the same, uh, of course, the geology always depends where you're at. But the, more than likely, they're going to start experiencing what the Bakken Basin has experienced, which is gassier wells over time. What do we do with this takeaway capacity? Right. He said gassier. <laughs> you have seven boys, so I figured. <laughs> we we yes. Uh, yeah. No, I, I get. I get. I just. I'll tell you. Uh, Bit deer. We're working on and uh, maybe signing up as a sponsor of the show. And I'm trying to get the executive in here, and we're working on a nice marketing budget for next year. And I they're the biggest uh, Bitcoin miner out of Singapore, and they are not really in the investor market, which we're trying to help with. 
So, uh, you know, I'm I'm really looking forward to visiting with you more about the Bitcoin up there because I think that's a huge win for ESG. I didn't think about it that way a couple of years ago. No, well, you know, what's funny. I was in a hotel in Utah, North Dakota. This was back in 2016. We did a Christmas party at this hotel. I was headed up to my room. And a guy gets in the elevator and we start talking. What do you do? He says, Bitcoin mining. I said, what? And he starts telling me <laughs> about how he's going to do this. I ain't kidding you. I, I, I told my brother that night, that guy is crazy. By the morning, I told him, you know, Jeremy, I wonder if that guy ain't onto something. Four years later, in yeah. 2020, he had over 30 wells that he had Bitcoin mines set up on. And he was doing very, very well. Now, we know that Bitcoin mine, you know, profitability right. in Bitcoin can go up and down, right? But if, you, if, you're, if you're producing it for free, then it's just a matter of how long you're willing to hold it and when you're willing to sell it, like any investment. Oh, you know, the um, uh, cost per kilowatt hour, goes, this, this conversation, Shane, goes back around. Humanity needs the lowest cost kilowatt per hour to get it out of humanity, to get it uh, to elevate out of poverty, kind of like Chris Wright said over at Liberty that you mentioned. Um, I mean, he's the one that set the tone for the Energy News Beat podcast humanitarian. And then Alex Epstein was also the same way. You know, I got to interview uh, both of them a couple of times and I love both of them. So, you know, they helped set how I was like going, uh, a light went off. So this conversation of the lowest kilowatt per hour for ESG, for Bitcoin mining, for finances has come back around to this circle of humanity to in order to elevate people out of poverty. But and, and because it's so important, Stu, people, again, they're not thinking about every kilowatt of energy has to be produced. And so right. what does it cost to produce it? Who's paying for it? Newsflash, the government doesn't just give you free energy. Now, <laughs> they've gotten very creative in, in tax credits and everything else. But we have yet to see where they go to the local homeowner and they say, you know what, due to our added regulation, we're just going to go ahead and start taking care of your power bill. It's not going to happen, folks. You're going to take care of your own power bill. Our utility over here in northern Minnesota tells us when we're talking about paybacks with solar systems, plan on a 3% annual rate hike from here until 2050. But you know what they do every year when they go to the legislature? They ask for a 13 to 22% rate increase. Wow. That's the reality of what they're after. And folks are going to just, they're going to cost themselves right out of affordable energy. And you might not think it doesn't matter. And uh, this is one other thing that I always tell our elementary kids when we're out talking to them and our, our co-workers. Okay, for us in the oil and gas business, for us who have able-bodied minds and, and healthy bodies, we can go make a living and we're maybe middle class or a little above. You probably really don't. It's, it's easy to say you don't really even hardly care. Oh, well, your power bill went up 4%, right? What I'm talking about is the same people who I'm lumping in this pile who are after ESG are the very... People that oftentimes can't afford that rate increase. We do energy scholarships as Westcom, part of our ESG oh, movement. Nice. We do every year. We call a couple of the elementary schools. We say we want four families. Who can we pay their power bills for for four months? We send a thousand bucks to the local utility company for right. that for that family to help out with their energy costs, right? Because How cool that's is that? where it's bad. Those folks that are living in the, uh, right on the edge, and guess what? That's most of us living right on the edge financially. And now we're going to go ahead and increase your price because why? Why? Uh, yeah. There's no reason for it in today's world. With this abundance of energy we have, there's no reason for it. You nailed what's happening in New York right now. Uh, Governor Hochul put out 
four months ago, Shane, uh, they are having to increase. She she said you're going to have a 20 percent increase in energy uh, this year. Then you're going to have another 20 percent and then you're going to have 100 percent. So I like I said, we I went to OSU. 20 plus 20 plus 100, that gets expensive. I don't care who you are. I mean, that's bad. It's 20 on top of 20, 100 on top of that 40. Exactly, yes. (laughs) It's bad. We don't even have to go to college to know that. But I think that's, that's a cool part about these podcasts that we can do. Think about the medium we have today to help share the story. Yes. But there's action required on everyone's part. And that's even at our Christmas parties this year as we're out talking about where we're headed as a country and what we're doing. And even as a company, as part of this, you know, we're just a small little speck, but you get to decide how big your speck becomes. How many people are you sharing your story with? How much of an impact are you making? And each one of us has a role in that. Your podcast, I love what you do, Shane, because you are uh, the epitome of the backbone of the U.S., uh, I am serious. If we can help you and and everything else, I'm surprised by the success of our podcast. I'm humbled by it. We have so much great feedback and and it's podcasters helping podcasters, helping spread the word. People are tired of the mainstream media. Uh, you need to interview uh, JP Warren. He's also written a book. I love JP. JP is cool cat. And yeah, yeah. so you need to interview him. And uh, I, I guarantee I want to interview the other author that you have about his child's book. And maybe we get both of them, all four of us on a, a child's book pot, uh, panel. I think that would be absolutely a fun. Hoot. Well, you know, and I, I have had this conversation also with our team. Here's the cool part about being in America. There might be in today's world ways that we get stopped or try to be stopped, but we're such a country of ingenuity. There's always a workaround. There's always a workaround. I grew up in, I was born in North Dakota, grew up in Duluth, Minnesota. My my dad never went to college. He was a boiler operator, which was often just a fancy title for a generator. Him and Ma, they raised all nine of us kids, seven boys, two girls. I end up with seven boys and two girls myself. And here's what's the in the water up there, dude. <laughs> it's good stuff because I'm telling you, it's an awesome life, Stu. Imagine last night I was out on the lake with my seven boys playing hockey. We it was magical, and the girls are inside with mom. It, it's a wonderful life. Here's the thing, though. You know, mom and dad hardly had any ability to even pay for all nine of us. We grew up in an environment that was tough. It was bumpy. 1980s economy sucked. We went out. Dad, the only roadway he survived the 80s was by moving us out to North Dakota, being part of the coal gasification plant, you know, before he came back in the 90s to Duluth here and raised all of us. My point is, is I started with nothing, absolutely nothing. And my brother and I got involved in this business when there was five of us. We just loved oil and gas. We loved the industrial feel. We loved the American drop on your boots. And the people we've been able to meet in this industry are just phenomenal. Doesn't matter if you're in North Dakota, New Mexico, or over here in Minnesota. We got an office in Wisconsin. Wow. We built all across the every single state nearly. We had West Coast pipeline this year. We had an East Coast pipeline that we worked on. We're all over the place. And there's such incredible people that are just like me. All they're doing is putting on their boots and giving it their best 
And right. some of us get really, really lucky. We end up owning a business which is some of the most incredible people ever. And then the the cream on the top is that we get to give it back to them. We get to give the company to them so that they can take the future rewards. There's so much of that here, and we forget that. We can get frustrated with all the noise and all the headlines and everything else. Go turn it into action. Do something about it. Get involved. Listen to that podcast. Tell somebody about it. Whatever you do, we can do it. I'm fired up. Okay, this is, we're going into 2024, and I'm fired up. I'm uh, For our podcast host, Shane, lean forward into his chair, and we're getting ready to run down that road. I guarantee you, we're going to have a blast. Shane, I cannot wait to see you again. <laughs> Thank you, Stu. It's been awesome. We got to keep this message alive. Oh, I'll tell you what, preach on, preach on. <laughs> well, my wife, my wife always says, settle down. Not everyone cares as much as you do. And I said, no, they do. Just have not ignited their passion. See, that that's the thing. Everyone, everyone wants the same thing. A nice, safe home. Right. At the end of the day, we all enjoy that, right? What is what are some of the critical components of that? A good job, boy, get in the energy business. Because if you want a growing business, right. a growing industry over the next 10 years. Don't matter if you're in fossil fuels, green movement, whatever you want to call it, linemen. Think about the transition that we are under. Whether you agree with it or not, there's a like massive electrification future. Electrification is here. It, it's here. How we're how we going to produce electricity, that's where the fun is. But we, there's tons of future in that, right? So how right. easy is that to talk about? Everyone likes to be warm. Well, that requires that energy. That's an easy conversation. All of this is such an easy conversation, and everyone has the same goal. We just got to learn how to ignite that passion within them. When we do, well, you can move mountains. I'll tell you what, you made my day today, Shane. And I'm, I will keep a pledge to you is keep heckling you and uh, bugging you on uh, LinkedIn, sharing your stuff. And uh, I want to help you out in any way that I possibly can. Let's do some of these other panels. Uh, yeah, I yeah. really am excited to to do some of those. And let's get the word out there. How do people find Westcon and how do people find your podcast? Yeah, westcominc.com is where you'll find everything about Westcom, including our Energizing America podcast. Energizing America podcast is on every platform you can find. Come join the conversation. It's a fun one. We need everyone involved. And I, Stu, I really appreciate the opportunity to sit down with you again, your passion for the industry and everything you guys are doing. Please keep it up because we're, we just want to be a small piece of the conversation. All right. You're a huge piece. So thank you very much. I appreciate you. We'll talk soon, Jane. Thanks, Stu.